This is the Anatomy of a Scream Pod Squad Network. Hi, welcome to my special contribution to Good For Her. My name is Jessica Scott. You may have heard my other Anatomy of a Scream pod squad podcast, Monster Books Pod, where I discuss kids' horror books that adults will love. When I saw Anatomy of a Scream's call for contributions in this series, my first and only thought was She-Devil. It's a movie I grew up on that I think is the epitome of a good-for-her movie, but I never really hear people talking about it, especially not in that context. I have a few theories on why that is, which we'll get to in a moment, but first let me give you a brief rundown of the movie in case you've never seen it or the last time you saw it was 25 years ago on Basic Cable. Roseanne Barr plays Ruth Patchett, an eager-to-please but woefully unappreciated housewife. Her husband, Bob, played by quintessential yuppie asshole Ed Begley Jr., begins an affair with lonely romance novelist Mary Fisher, played by Meryl Streep in what is legitimately one of her best performances. Smitten with the thin, beautiful, and glamorous Mary, Bob begins neglecting Ruth even more than before, rubbing the affair in her face and telling her that she can't do anything right. Bob screams at Ruth and says he regrets ever marrying her. With this final nail in the coffin letting Ruth know that the happy domestic life she wants so desperately is never going to happen, she decides to systematically destroy Bob's life the way he destroyed hers. She writes down a list of his assets, which he helpfully provided to her in his cruel tirade. The things Bob values most are his home, his family, his career, and his freedom. Starting from the top, Ruth sets about destroying everything on the list. She blows up their house in the suburbs. She destroys the fantasy life that Bob and Mary share by dropping her bratty kids off at Mary's mansion and finding a way for Mary's estranged mother to get kicked out of her nursing home so that she has to stay with Mary. Ruth then starts an employment agency under an assumed name, Vesta Rose. She helps other unappreciated women find jobs that value them and give them a new lease on life. Through her network of women, she discovers that Bob has been embezzling from his clients. She exposes him, causing him to lose both his career and his freedom as he is sent to jail for 18 months. With all of Bob's assets now destroyed, Ruth moves into her future, happy and vindicated. Good for her. So I mentioned that I think this is an overlooked film in the good for her cinematic universe. Part of that obviously has to do with age. I feel a little silly calling a movie from 1989 old, but it's certainly not as recent or as well known as a lot of other movies that people think of when they talk about good for her movies. I think this definition varies by person, but the films I hear about the most or see mentioned the most often as qualifying as good for her movies are Gone Girl, Midsummer, and The Witch. If you want to add more movies to that list, we can go to the viral tweet from Twitter user Cinematography, but the A is an X, Cinema, T-O-G-R-X-P-H-Y. That also includes 2019's The Invisible Man, Us, Knives Out, Ready or Not, and 2018's Suspiria. This episode is about She-Devil, so I don't have the time or the inclination to get into what I think about all of those female protagonists and how much they do or do not fit my personal definition of good for her. But the thing that interests me the most about these eight women in terms of comparing them to She-Devil is that all eight are thin and conventionally attractive. Six of them are white. Five of them are blonde. All three of the movies I mentioned first, Gone Girl, Midsummer, and The Witch, feature thin, blonde, white, conventionally attractive women. I think Amy Dunn from Gone Girl in particular is the face of the good-for-her movie. And again, she's an icy, rich, beautiful, thin, blonde, white woman. 
So based on these examples, we have a pretty good picture of the kind of women who makes us say, good for her. Now, contrast that image with Roseanne Barr. Roseanne is a fat woman, and Hollywood has never been kind to fat people. American culture has never been kind to fat people. So the act of presenting this fat woman as our good-for-her heroine was revolutionary in 1989, and it's still revolutionary today, especially considering the fact that at no point in the movie does Ruth lose weight or even express interest in losing weight. She eats and drinks what she wants to. She talks about how thin and beautiful Mary is, but she never expresses envy towards Mary because of how she looks, which is also revolutionary. Ruth weighs herself at one point, just after Bob makes a disparaging comment about her weight. I'm not sure how to read that scene, other than as just another reminder of how much of an asshole Bob really is. After Bob leaves the room, Ruth steps on the scale and sees the number change from 200 to 201. As a fat woman myself, I don't have a good feel for what thin people think a normal weight is, or how much they think people of different sizes actually weigh. I will say that 201 pounds is not a lot, but I know that Hollywood thinks it's massive. I don't think we're supposed to laugh at Ruth in that moment, but I'm not sure if the movie wants us to pity her for her weight or not. My reaction is to pity her for being married to a man who makes her feel bad about herself for her weight, but I don't know what the thin person's reaction to that scene would be. I'd be curious to get thin people's reactions to that, and I'd definitely be curious to know what 1989 audiences thought about that scene, whether they laughed as the number crawled up by one pound or not. Knowing how fatphobic the 80s were, it wouldn't surprise me. So, Ruth does not lose weight, which I love. She does get a bit of a makeover, though. Her hair and her clothes get less frumpy. But the biggest change in her appearance is how much more confident she is. Ruth is obviously more comfortable in her own skin, and that happiness and self-assuredness makes her so much more beautiful by the end of the movie. Again, good for her. She doesn't change her weight to become more beautiful. She just accepts that she is already beautiful and acts accordingly. However, there is one thing to note about Ruth's makeover. She has a large mole on her face early on in the movie, but she removes it when she becomes the quote-unquote better version of herself. I think there are two interesting things to talk about here. First is how I think that could be linked to ableism. Obviously, having a mole is not a disability, but in all the movies I mentioned that qualify as good for her cinema, none of the heroines are disabled. Removing a physical marker that identifies Ruth as different, as other, I think that plays into the idea that you have to look like everyone else to be happy and successful. You can't have a physical characteristic that immediately sets you apart from the majority. So the removal of Ruth's mole has always bothered me. I feel like that's a misstep that plays into the idea that everyone yearns to be conventionally attractive, and that what qualifies as attractive adheres to a very strict and exclusionary set of rules. Another aspect I find interesting about her mole is that moles and warts are often associated with witches. Bob calls Ruth a she-devil, and there's a lot of fire imagery that plays up her so-called devilish nature. By losing the mole, she becomes less overtly witchy, even as she becomes more and more powerful in her quest for vengeance. It's an odd contrast that I think has a lot to do with the ableism and unfortunate conformity that I just mentioned, but I also think it's the movie rejecting the idea that there's anything evil about Ruth. Her husband, who ignores her and leaves her to do everything at the house, cook, clean, take care of the kids, take care of the dog, he cheats on her and verbally abuses her and embarrasses her. He takes everything from her. I can't imagine a more justified revenge than ruining Bob's life, which, to be clear, he ruins himself. Ruth never forces him to embezzle from his clients. She never forces him to cheat on Mary. Oh yes, he cheats on Mary, too. I'm surprised he found time to steal money in between all the women he's chasing. So this is not an example of a woman scorned ruining a man's life. This is an example of a man's terrible actions catching up with him. 
This is Bob fucking around and finding out. One of the core tenets of Good For Her Cinema is getting justified revenge. As I mentioned earlier, I have quibbles with some of the famous examples of this subgenre based on how much I think that revenge is deserved and how successfully it is achieved. But with She-Devil, I have no such qualms. Bob deserved everything he got, and Ruth got her revenge in a uniquely feminist way that I think makes this movie stand out among all the other entries in the Good For Her canon. Ruth got her individual revenge, this is true, but she also built a community of and for women. She didn't just help herself. She built an army of women who finally recognized their own worth and stood up for themselves. As part of her plan, Ruth takes a job at the nursing home where Mary's mother was languishing. She puts a stop to the systematic sedation of all the patients and gives them a new lease on life. Granted, this is part of her very well-thought-out strategy to get Mary's mother to move into Mary's mansion. But Ruth actually befriends all the nursing home patients. She starts a soccer team with them. Because of Ruth, they start having fun and living their lives again. After Ruth leaves, she takes the time to appoint a new captain of that soccer team. She hugs and kisses everyone goodbye. She cares what happens to them after she's gone, even after she's accomplished the part of her plan that necessitated her working there. She's not using these people. She's helping them at the same time that she's helping herself. Interestingly, most, if not all, of the patients at the nursing home are women. Obviously, Roseanne Barr is very interested in domesticity. Her sitcom was all about working-class families struggling to raise kids and make ends meet when all the odds seem stacked against you. Corporations and governments that don't give a damn about real people, unsteady paychecks, bills that never stop coming. Roseanne the series was all about suburban life that had nothing to do with perfect white picket fences. So I find it interesting that She-Devil is making a point about how society throws away older women. Once you've fulfilled your domestic duties as a wife and mother, once your usefulness has been exhausted, you get shuffled off to a nursing home where people don't have to think about you or see you anymore. And Ruth will not stand for that. She sees how much life these women still have, and she wants them to see it too. Speaking of domesticity and community, the names Ruth goes by have a lot of meaning behind them. The Hebrew name Ruth means friend. And Vesta, which is the name she uses at the nursing home and the name she uses for her employment agency, is the Roman goddess of the hearth, who is often represented by fire. Once again, the fire imagery comes into play, less as a symbol of her devilishness and more of a symbol of Ruth being a strong woman who keeps the home fires burning. Her company, Vesta Rose, finds well-paying, fulfilling jobs for women who have been told that they don't have enough experience, or they're not the right fit, or that they are otherwise not good enough. Though most of the film's main cast is white, the women who come to Vesta Rose are diverse in terms of race and body type and age. Again, She-Devil is making a statement about who society values and who society throws away. If you're not young and thin and white and pretty and abled and already rich you're going to have a much harder time making it on your own because of the way our society is set up. But this community of women who help each other, they make a difference. They create what Ruth calls an army. These women work together, lift each other up, and recognize each other's worth. I'm all about a good revenge story, but how incredible is it that Ruth finds her strength and gets her revenge by helping scores of unsung women find their strength too? It's not just about punishing Ruth's shitty husband. It's about attacking the system that enables men like her shitty husband. That is feminist as fuck. That is the pinnacle of good for her. Two more things that I think play into this idea really interestingly are the judge who presides over Bob's criminal case and what happens to Mary at the end of the movie. Bob is initially scheduled to appear before a white male judge who is a golfing buddy of Bob's lawyer's father. 
Not that we needed anyone to tell us this, but She-Devil is showing us that the system is set up to protect rich white men like Bob. But through one of her clients, Ruth manages to switch the judge to a more professional, less biased one. The new judge is an older black woman who does her job far better than the white man who was originally scheduled. If we want the system to work for everyone, we have to make sure the system represents everyone, and we can't let crooked white men shape the world. I appreciate that the movie didn't cast a white actress in this role for several reasons, one of which is that we can't ignore the fact that white women still favor whiteness over solidarity with women of other races. The appearance of the judge is supposed to elicit laughter from the audience, but we're not laughing at the judge, we're laughing at Bob, because in that second he realizes that he can't coast on his whiteness anymore. Unfortunately, there would have been some doubt on that score if a white female judge had shown up. I think it's smart commentary on She-Devil's part to say that the only way to get justice in this case is for the judge to be a woman of color, because it's delving into more intersectional issues rather than solely looking at gender. We can't ignore the role white women play in upholding these corrupt systems, yet so much of good-for-her cinema is about white women triumphing. I'm not saying She-Devil is perfect in this regard, and I do realize the irony of making that statement while praising a movie about a white woman triumphing. But I do think it has more to say about racism and classism and ageism and body shaming and a host of other issues than a lot of other good-for-her movies, which is another reason it's one of my favorites in the subgenre. Another aspect of the movie that I think is really smart is its handling of Mary's writing career. Her romance novels are wildly popular with women, but critics especially male critics, don't take her seriously. This is a fact of the literary world in our real world. Critics, again, especially male critics, look down their noses at romance novels because romance is seen as a woman's genre. Mary herself says that the people who disparage her writing are all men. At the end of the movie, Mary switches gears from romantic fiction to a memoir about deception and betrayal based on her experience with Bob. She no longer wears the frilly pink clothes from her glamorous life before. Now she's wearing glasses and a plain dark dress and looking every bit the serious writer. She notes sardonically that this is the book that made the critics finally pay attention to her and take her seriously. And as she notes this, she subtly flips the camera off, adjusting her glasses with just her middle finger. She's rejecting the overtly feminine by removing the girly pink ruffles from her wardrobe, but she's still telling the male establishment to fuck off for telling her which books are worthwhile and which ones are not. I see a lot of good for her in Mary's storyline, too. Ruth's voiceover tells us that she hates Mary, but she doesn't carry around a list of Mary's assets to destroy, just Bob's. Mary is far from blameless in the affair, but so much of the film's ire is directed at Bob. We see him screw Mary over just like he screwed Ruth over, neglecting her, cheating on her, leaving her to deal with the kids and the dog and the house all by herself. What Mary did was wrong, but She-Devil sees her, at least in part, as another one of Bob's many victims. Mary even gets a somewhat happy ending, a rejuvenated career, some very valuable lessons learned about how hard it is to live the domestic life she said she wanted so badly, a new love interest... She-Devil doesn't seem very interested in punishing Mary because this is not a movie that punishes women. This is a movie that wants the best for women because they're all fighting against the patriarchy. She-Devil ends with Ruth walking down the street amidst a sea of women just like her. Working women, mothers, women of all races and ages and sizes. Ruth could be any one of these women, and that's the whole point. This is a cathartic tale of revenge, but it's also one that emphasizes community and solidarity with other marginalized people. Ruth gets her revenge and builds herself a better life, but in doing so, she creates an army of women who are building themselves better lives at the same time. 
that level of community-mindedness and, although it could be much better, intersectionality makes this one of the most truly feminist good-for-her movies I've ever seen. Thanks so much for listening. If you're a She-Devil fan, I'd love to hear your thoughts. And if you've never seen the movie, I hope this inspires you to check it out. My name is Jessica Scott, and you can find me on Twitter at WeWhoWalkHere. I'd like to thank the Anatomy of a Scream pod squad for hosting. I know I'm biased, but I think they're the best podcast network out there. So please subscribe and leave a glowing review for them wherever you get your podcasts. Scream Pod Squad.